You're listening to The Business Marketing Show, episode number 79. You can find us at businessmarketingshow.com on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Welcome to The Business Marketing Show. I'm your host, Brendan. I'm here with my co-host, Ed. How are you going today, Ed? Good, thanks, Brendan. How about you? What's been I'm happening? I'm quite well, thanks. What's been happening? Not much, just catching up after the holidays, after Christmas. Trying to get on top of things, you know how it is. Yeah, a lot of people still on holidays uh, in Perth, where I am, and uh, Australia's funny like that. I think people who are listening to this in other parts of the world maybe don't take quite such a long time off over this period of time because it's often winter where uh, in the northern hemisphere but for us it's the middle of summer so people tend to stretch out a lot of their time and it's school holidays and so often not coming back to work till february so and we i think we often see this in the reflection of our podcast views that that, that starts to pick up more in in the sort of february time compared to mm. january mm-hmm but it's a good time, and as per our previous uh, podcast episode, talking about things that are working for us uh, for 2018 in terms of what we're doing in digital marketing, we thought we would follow that up with a web strategy checklist so we can give people some guidance as to what they need to do in sort of uh, the correct sequence. So no point in jumping around. We've said this a lot. We've done this in when we've done workshops, haven't we, where people are Mm -hmm. starting in the middle. So rather than doing step one, they're doing step five uh, and wondering why things aren't working. So we're going to do this checklist, and hopefully that will help people uh, get things in order and move them forward for 2018. Mm-hmm. A bit more tactical, right, than the last episode? Yeah, definitely more. Yeah, definitely more tactical and uh, and step by step. So, the first question, the first question that we typically will ask a client when they're wanting to go down the path of having a, some sort of digital marketing campaign, we ask the question: Who is it that they're trying to get in front of? What's their Buyer persona is often the terminology that is used, and that's really nutting down and identifying the person you are trying to target for your marketing. Who is it you want your advertising to appear in front of? Who who do you want to reach with your social media marketing messages? Um, who are you targeting for your search engine optimization, etc.? So if you don't know who it is, who is the person that you want to get in front of, then that makes all the other steps very difficult because then you're just sort of throwing mud at a wall and hoping something's going to stick. So in that in that sense, what are your thoughts on a buyer persona? What would you typically recommend to people? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's lots of different names for it, right? The ideal customer is another name for it. Yep. Um, because there's probably two parts to there's you know there's two ends to it. One is what uh what do you have to sell? Like um we talked about this in the online marketing the strategy episode, like getting clear about what your products and services are. Get a list down on a page, um, and be clear about that. And then the flip side of that, which we didn't talk about, is who is the person that is best suited for those products and services um where are they who are they 
what are their problems um, or what are the problems they have that those products and services solve yep. and how are they actually searching for you? Because there's a, we, I don't think we've talked about it much like the, in terms of the sales or marketing funnel that there's really three parts to it, top of funnel, middle of funnel and bottom of funnel. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people don't. It's, it's. I guess it's a conceptual thing, and a lot of clients we work with don't really understand that, and therefore, they don't understand the people, and they don't understand the funnel, so they don't, therefore, end up using the wrong strategy or the wrong tools or whatever or the wrong channels. So, um, I think being clear on the who that person is that you're selling to, where they are, and how they're looking for you, or how, what, how are they looking for a solution to the problem if they're even looking for a solution in the first place because if someone is what we would call top of funnel then they might not actually be aware of your products and services and they might not be aware that they have a problem or there's a better way of doing whatever they're doing a better solution than they have right now yeah yeah absolutely and that's where it comes in important to do that market um education and awareness which you could you could do driving that through through social media uh, with with videos or any form of clever marketing that brings that awareness to people who don't necessarily know they need what you have. Um, and, and that does come to the question, uh, often people are thinking of uh, marketing something to someone. They don't necessarily even have a product or a service. So they may be trying to find that um, ideal customer and solve the problem. They may not actually already have the solution to the problem, but they, they're looking for the market. So there are some people who are coming from it from that angle. But more typically, we're dealing with people, they've got the product, they've got the service, now they need to match it up to the ideal customer or the, the, you know, the correct buyer persona. Yep. Uh, so, so ultimately, I think once you work out who that is, what is, what is the problem that you're solving? Uh, what does the product solve as a solution? What does the service uh, solve? What's the pain point that you're relieving? Because as we know, in terms of human activity or, you know, you're either moving uh, away from pain or towards pleasure. They're the two sort of states we're often in. So you're either solving someone's problem or you're adding um, increased joy or happy <laughs> happiness from your product. Mm. So... Yeah. Making their life better, right? Making their life better. That's yep. exactly it. Yeah. I think this is an important one too because you have a lot like, I mean, an example of this is someone who would be, if your ideal customer is, is more of a, at the top of the funnel, so they don't know about you, they don't know about your products and services, and they don't know that they actually have a problem, they don't actively understand that there's a problem, then something like Facebook ads is going to work really well. Um, whereas someone, for example, uh, that would be bottom of funnel, say, um, you know, someone who has a, a burst pipe in their house or something, there's water leaking everywhere. They would, they would be someone who's bottom of funnel. They're aware they have a problem. They're actively looking for a solution and they, you know, they need a plumber to fix it. Facebook ads are not going to be, uh, an effective channel in the, in, in that circumstance, something like AdWords or SEO are going to be a better channel to look at because they're actively, so the first thing they're going to do is a, you grab their phone and search for a plumber. So, um, it's yeah, important yeah, to understand yeah. that. And that's a really good point because I don't know about you, but I get a little bit sick of hearing about everyone talking about 
social media as if it's the be all and end all to all marketing problems or challenges. Uh, and it's not. It, it's right for certain things and it's not right for other things. Just like search marketing and SEO is right for certain things and not necessarily right for others. So it is, it does come down to understanding where your, your customer is in the buying cycle. And that example of the plumber is a, is a classic one. They're not going to go, Oh, I wonder if there's anyone on Facebook that knows a plumber. No, they're, they're hopping on. They've got water gushing out their pipes. They're on Google on their phone or on their computer searching for an emergency plumber. Um, so they're not looking on Facebook and waiting for an ad to pop up. So you, you're dead right. So that's a, that's a good example of a very different section of the, the, the funnel that they're in. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, uh, then you've okay. You've identified who the the buyer is. You're you've worked out a solution to the challenge that they have, or you've provided a product that fits the needs that they're looking for. So, what is it that we now want them to do? What actions would we like these people to take? Because it's not. It's not necessarily buying something. It could be making an inquiry or it could be just making a connection or it could be downloading a free report. Um, so, yeah, what are your thoughts in that area? Yeah, well, I mean, we talk about this a lot, taking the first step of the sales process online. So, yep. um, you know, it's kind of like if you think about it in another context, no one gets married on the first date or most people don't. No, <laughs> um, good, good so example. It's, this, it's the same. So if you think about it roughly, it takes most people five to seven sales interactions to make um, a buying decision. And generally, we, we've also talked about that when we look at the sales cycle or the buying process, there's a couple of different elements of it. One is the the price. So the higher the price is, the longer the sales cycle typically will be. Mm-hmm. Um, the more complex the product is that they're buying, the longer it's going to be. And and on the flip side, there's more simple the, the product or service they're buying, the shorter the sales cycle is going to be, the lower the price, the shorter the sales cycle. And typically, the simpler, and, simpler the product and the lower the price, the less trust or relationship building that needs to be done before they, they make a decision. So, you know, a couple of examples there. One is, you know, someone... Uh, booking a dental appointment for a, a a checkup that's a fairly simple step-by-step process they want to you know a dentist in their local area they google it find someone online and then the ideal action that we want them to take is them to book an appointment through the web widget on the website um, yeah. something more complex like buying you know a new car that's going to have multiple steps or buying a house they're not going to Google something, go to the website and hit the buy button. They're going to want to call you. They're going to want multiple meetings. They're going to want to know about the product. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of back and forth. And then they're going to want to, you know, they need to have trust. Well, you know, when someone buys something, they need three things. So they need desire, demand. So if you think about it as a, in a checklist format, so they need a desire or they need a demand. They need to have trust. So they need to trust you, the company, and the they need to trust the product or the solution or the service you're offering and trust that it's going to solve their problem. And, you know, if they spend money, they're going to get an ROI in that money. And then also they need they need money, so they need a way to pay for it. So a lot of the times um, they might not, you know, they might not have the money up front, so offering a finance solution can also check that box. But typically those are the three checkboxes we want to check. So, you know, we don't, we c- can't, 
check all those boxes in one simple interaction. So that's typically most sales processes of five to seven interactions. And yeah, if it's more expensive or more complex, it might be 10 or 15, whereas if it's something more simple, it might be three to five. Yeah, and that's yeah the typical thing we're always talking about is they need to get to know you, like you, and trust you. Um, mm-hmm. And they need they they're going through a particular convince a strategy and convince a strategy in their head of why they should spend the money. And typically, uh, at sort of the higher price points, they've got the money. They want to spend the money. They they have the solution, or sorry, they have the problem that needs a solution. Uh, they've just got to find the right uh, company or business or person to to, to trust to do that. So that's where getting them through and that's where the sort of more of the middle of the funnel process comes into play about getting that um, system in place so you can inform them and they can experience that. And that could be through an email marketing newsletter. It could be through a podcast. It could be through a series of training videos or educational explainer videos. Uh, and I know that's personally how I have gone down the path of spending you know, thousands of dollars for this, that, or whatever it is. Um, I've never done it straight away. I've usually had some um, experience with that company or business over multiple times before I've handed over the money. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so an example could be you're going to go and do a workshop, or you're going to go and do some sort of event. Um, you know, that could, that it could be two, three, four thousand dollars for a, a weekend. Uh, unless you have had the experience of seeing what that event is about or knowing who's speaking at that event or it's been recommended to you, it's highly unlikely you're just going to fork over the four grand. More than likely what's happened is you've come through a a process where you've maybe bought this person or this company's book, uh, you've watched some videos, and you've gone through a process of... um, Increasing your spend, and this is typically what we see, they'll go from spending $20 on a book to an, another workshop that was maybe $300, uh, and then they get to the, the larger workshop. But over that time, they've got to build up that trust, um, and they've test the waters with the, with the smaller items. So we're often seeing big ticket items very rarely just sell themselves. There's always been a process working up to that particular item, and do, do you find that the same? Yeah, yeah, totally agree. So, yeah, no one goes from zero to buying in one step. I I think that's it. And the trust is really important. I think the free report or the lead magnet or the download on the website, I think that's one of the things that is very commonly uh, done incorrectly. So I think people just assume that by getting the email address, then they suddenly have the customer, which is wrong. Like if if they don't think about those three steps, the demand and desire, the you know making sure the customer has the money or they can afford it and then that trust building process then no matter how many of those downloads or reports that someone you know or downloads that the website has they're not going to make the sale so i think it's really important to keep that in mind and be strategic about those touch points so what do each of those touch points do they they need to be increasing their trust and in you need to be. There's a fine line there with um, increasing the demand or the desire that customer has, because if you do it wrong, it can be very manipulative. Um, and if you manipulate someone into buying or trick someone into buying, then that'll ultimately, long term, come back to bite you on the ass. But um, uh, yeah, that's why I see those download things all over the place, and I'm kind of like, I don't really understand why this is a free download or free report. It doesn't make sense in this context. It's just someone is trying this tactic without 
understanding the the sales psychology that sits underneath it or supports it. Yeah, it has to be a complete end-to-end strategy. You can't just randomly put something out there that then leads to something that's completely different. So it's got you've got to have an alignment with the whole process from start to finish and know what that sequence is going to be so that it makes sense to the 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 potential customer coming in. So so awesome. So next we why is the next question. Why would someone work with you as a individual or as a business? Um, what makes you different? What makes you stand out? Uh, do you have really good success stories? Um, often people will call them testimonials. We prefer to call them success stories. Doesn't sound quite as made up as testimonials. Um, and gives you a bit more of a, f- um, flexibility on what you can do, uh, in, the, in success stories. Uh, do you have guarantees? So I think anywhere where you can remove risk is a fantastic thing. If you give ironclad money back guarantees, so if someone's going to go and spend $4,000 on a three-day workshop um, and you can give them that complete and utter reassurance that if they don't like it, within the first day they can get their money, full money back, refund, no questions asked, all that sort of stuff. We've all seen it and experienced it in one way or another. But it certainly does help with bigger ticket items to remove the risk. Because once you've removed the risk, people will certainly open up um, to, you know, spend the money. Uh, so what else have we got with why? Um, well, one thing we do is um, we don't call them case studies, but often we have – so we have – we get, you know, we get clients who have an existing website and often they'll have a photo gallery on the website uh-huh. and that – the photo gallery doesn't necessarily make sense in the context of someone buying something. So often we'll change that photo gallery and turn it into a recent work portfolio. So it's it's kind of like case studies. Um, they don't necessarily need to be that in depth, but um, particularly where something, again, where it's a you know it's a complex sale or it's a high ticket item, or there's a lot of trust involved having that recent work, um, some photos, and even in videos in some cases. Um, and just a, it doesn't need to be a lot like a half page summary of what the customer's problem was, what was the solution, the, you know, broadly what the solution was they provided and some, you know, bullet point information about that and a bunch of photos like, um, uh, that can work really well because it's kind of demonstrated capability. People can see what the product looks like or the solution looks like, um, in the flesh after it's been delivered. Um, so it builds that trust. And then also for whatever reason we found those recent work, pages or portfolios when they have you know a decent number of images and some text with it can actually get a lot more google traffic particularly where it's uh, a more complex solution where there might be a lot of technical language used like we do a lot of stuff for like engineering firms Mm. um, where there's like really specific technical language specifications and things like that so it can work really well and it also demonstrates that you can speak the language of the customer um, because it really you know they need to they need to know that you understand them. So kind of demonstrating that in the language as well that you use to explain the work kind of demonstrates your capability at the same time. Um, with the guarantees, as you know, there's a flip side to offering a money-back guarantee. One is, you know, let them test drive the product for free. Yeah, yeah. With sure. our hosting product, um, we give, you know, the first 30 days is free so they can try it. Without risk, we'll move them on there and um, if they don't like it, we'll move it off. We've never had to move anybody off but, you know, the 30 days free, you know, there's nothing to lose there um, effectively. So that's a different way of providing the guarantee. You you know, you build the trust. Let them try it and, you know, by trying the product, it builds the trust as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
I think that I think you mentioned reviews or testimonials. Um, I think that's really key, particularly where um, you know we're in the age of reviews, where one single customer who is pissed off with you, and you're going to have upset customers from time to time. It's I think a lot of you know you need to take the perspective that someone at some point is going to be disappointed. You're not going to please no, you can't. all the people exactly. all the time, right? Um, so I think that that's really key, and a really it's a simple thing to miss like you one or two one-star reviews can decimate you online if you don't have a strategy in place to be getting positive reviews on an ongoing basis and also the flip side of that is it's not just about getting the reviews it's about getting the feedback from the customer to make the product or solution better yeah um, for years we've talked about in the workshops that the web and social media amplifies sentiment so if you're an ordinary business, the web is going to make you look even more ordinary, which is ultimately a negative thing. If you're, if the business has problems and you, or you know, a fair proportion of your customers are unhappy, then it's going to look even worse online. But then a good business, if if you have a good strategy, will look even better online because it's amplifying that positive sentiment. So yeah, too um, true. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, there's big things and little things there wrapped into that kind of trust and proof um, element. What do you yeah. think? Yeah, yeah, completely agree. And it's it, yeah, again, it comes, it does come back to people convincing themselves that they want to spend the money with you. So you just have to have it in place to remove as many uh, stop points as possible, uh, and that's where it comes in. You know, the um, success stories and the free trials, etc. That all adds to the ability for them to take the next step. So it's, uh, remove as many barriers as you possibly can to letting them make a decision to say yes we want to take the next step yeah i think you need to be careful too like just making sure that the you know if something's too good to be true it probably is so as a business owner you need to make sure that what you're offering is you can do it on a commercial basis um because very quickly you can get into trouble if you're offering a proof uh, some sort of guarantee and um, you can't deliver properly and people are going to call in that guarantee that can you know, be big trouble for your business you remember back five years ago, six years ago, or even longer, maybe even 10 years, eight or 10 years ago when Groupon was a big thing and there was these kind of too good to be true, you know, you get like a meal for two for 25 bucks at a restaurant or something. Yeah. Um, and it was just, you know, people were unhappy. It, 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 a restaurant, can you can't do that on a commercial basis. Like some of those things are just not commercial at scale. So, and a lot of people got into trouble with a lot of those things. So I think it's important that that, Whatever you're doing, you need to offer it on a commercial basis. Like if someone's calling in that guarantee, you need to be able to back it up. So Yeah. I'm pretty sure yeah. Groupon regretted not taking the, what was it, 7 or $8 billion they were offered from Google yeah, at the time? Like Six and a half billion dollars some, cash, I think. Yeah, it was, it was something, some huge and they turned it down saying, hmm. Anyway. You, never, you don't hear about Groupon anymore, right? When was the last time someone, uh, someone used yeah, to work Groupon? Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's still around, and you said, it's, but yeah, it's certainly not. Six or seven billion dollars worth of being around. Um, anyway, I digress. So, but that's a that's a good example, actually. It's you know we're talking about you know companies and um, building up that success stories and trust. Well, that's maybe an example of things that haven't gone quite as planned. <laughs> uh, so, moving on to the next one. So we've worked out the who, the what, the why. Now we're wanting to. Know where are we going to get in front of these people? How are we going to get them um, and get exposed to the the right ideal customer? So we're going to be discussing things like Google and Facebook and Instagram and 
blogs and podcasts. So these are all things we've mentioned um, that you know that we do in various shapes and forms, and we we touched on them in the previous episode for our first one for 2018. So uh, you and I are very big uh, fans of Google. Not necessarily, mm-hmm. not necessarily the company and their ideology and how they how they work, but in terms of just a marketing company and getting traffic, it's a very uh, consistent, reliable form of getting search traffic, and it's split up into it, into two or well, technically three areas. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we've got or- organic search, so that was what most people would classify as free search results that appear on Google. Um, Above that, we've got Google AdWords, which is the paid advertising side of it that has been around for 15 years or so now. Um, and still, to my surprise, I come across people who don't really know what it is or understand anything about it. So there's still a huge scope for that. And then tied into those are the Google Display Network, which is advertising that appears on websites that allow ads to be displayed from from Google. So in a nutshell, with Google, um, what sort of percentage of clients are you finding that you're doing things like Google AdWords for um, as opposed to Facebook advertising? I think, okay, so so a Google strategy is typically easier and more evergreen than a Facebook strategy. So um, probably the easiest way to explain it is if you are advertising on Facebook, the ads are going to suffer from ad burnout. So yeah. after 30 days, the, the ad campaign needs to be re- refreshed with a new offer. So it would be like you know, seeing the same ad on TV time and time again. Eventually, you're either going to buy it or just ignore it. So so Facebook ads, can well, they suffer from ad fatigue or ad burnout really quickly. So um, a Facebook ad campaign is, is much more of an active strategy. You need to be constantly refining it and tweaking it and changing it and, and that sort of thing. Whereas a Google search campaign, people are, you know, they're, they're bottom of funnel. So they're yeah, typically exactly. they're just looking for the solution and the ad campaign set up and it just, you know, once their problem is solved, then it's solved. So they, they don't need to search it for any anymore. So yeah, um, we've got campaigns we've been running for 15 years that are, that have hardly, they, they've been, tweaked and changed and various things, but they're, they're still in the same marketplace achieving similar results mm-hmm. um, over 15 years. So you couldn't do that on Facebook. Yeah, uh, yep. I totally agree. You, if, you, if people keep seeing the same ads in their feeds all the time, they're going to go, oh, hide, don't want to see this stuff anymore. Or they, they click on it out of spite as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you, well, you see that with the Google Display Network. Um, when it's been done poorly, like I'm sure everyone listening, they've been stalked. They've gone to a website and clicked away, and two minutes later, they're just being stalked by the ads for the next week, and they ultimately click the ads out of spite because they're tired of being followed by them. Um, so yeah, I think you need to be careful of that. One thing we, you know, that for most clients we do is run Google ads for their business name and brand name. I think we're at a point where oh, yeah. you can't afford not to do that. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and a lot of you, if you have an aggressive marketplace and aggressive competitors, you'll probably find they are advertising against yeah. your brand or business name. Or if your business name has a generic word in it, like John's Plumbers, then it's going to trigger ads for other plumbers. Not because they're targeting your name specifically or business name, but just because it has the word plumbers in it. So. Yeah, too too true. So, 
So again, it comes back to understanding who your the the buyer persona, who's your ideal target market, where are they spending their time? Because we are always getting people coming to us and clients saying they have to be across every single social media platform that there is, and they get very um, frustrated by not having the time to do that sort of thing. And we always sit down with them and say, look, well. Where are your people that you need to get in front of? Are they on Facebook or is it LinkedIn or is it Instagram? And work out where they are. And you know, more often than not, uh, Google is and is a good place to do advertising for a lot of the people we're talking to. So it's working out the right place to spend your marketing dollars to get in front of the right people. Mm-hmm. And probably a point here to make as well is that none of these channels are free. Like. Um Aren't they? Well, Damn. Here's me <laughs> after all this time. Well, the organic reach, so the free reach on Facebook is virtually zero if you're not running paid ads. Yeah. Um, Instagram is very similar. So, you know, the organic reach is very low. And then SEO is not free. Uh, contrary to what a lot of people think, there are some quick and easy free things you can do, like get on Google Maps listings. But an SEO campaign to rank higher on an ongoing basis is, you know, you're going to need someone to do that for you. So, um, yeah, I mean, these none of these channels are free. So I think there's a there's often um, a hesitation by businesses that they want to go for the free things because they don't want to pay. Um, yeah, it's a complete misconception. And, and say the only thing they're technically correct about is that if someone clicks on an organic listing, that hasn't cost them money. But to get the organic listing where it is in a, in a high position point and a relevant position point, that's costing money because they're either investing in learning how to do it themselves or paying staff to do it or they've got a, a dedicated marketing person on the team that's working on that or they're outsourcing to you and I or someone like us who are doing that sort of stuff for them and they're paying them to do it. So it's not a free thing completely. And I come across mm-hmm. that on a daily, weekly basis that that is the concept a lot of people have and they avoid spending money on Google AdWords because it's costing them per click as opposed to the organic. So you're dead right with that observation. Mm. There's probably some maths to work out here. So once you know who it is that uh, you know you, you want to do business with, so you've worked out the ideal customer, you've worked out what you – you know what you're selling to them, you know, the product, the solutions to their problems. There's there's probably a, a to do item there to work out the profit. So to work out how much marginal profit you're making off that sale, which then you can work back and you know determine how much you can afford to spend on advertising. Well, I have the software for that, that Brendan. We, oh, really? We, yeah, my my value per visitor calculator. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I've got, you haven't mentioned that in many years on the podcast. Well, actually. there you go. And I'll put a link to it. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. And this is this is a tool that we had developed uh, probably 12, 13 years ago um, to work out exactly what Brendan's talking about. To You can sort of reverse engineer a, a paid advertising campaign based on your profit points to work out whether it is potentially going to be profitable um, based on what you'll be paying per click for any sort of given keyword term. So it enables you to go, yeah, well, we're going to have to have a 50% conversion rate on our website based on this traffic cost and this volume to actually make any money. So you can go, mm, you know, that's not going to happen. 
So it, it enables you to do a bit of pre, pre-research and planning before. So good that you brought that up. So we'll put a link to where people can get that for free. We used to sell it for about $100 or so, but to the listeners of the podcast, they can have it at no cost. Wow. You're generous, Ed. I am. It's just in my nature. So, yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry to interrupt you. Keep going. Well, I can't even remember what I was talking about now. Okay, so we're talking about marketing budgets. Yeah, I think also it's important to have set a marketing budget um, if you want to do marketing on an ongoing basis. If you yeah. work out those numbers, work out the profitability of these products, then you're going to need to, most of the time, you'll have to spend up front before you can make these sales. So having a marketing budget set aside each month is probably a smart thing to do, which I think at, particularly for smaller businesses don't have that. Um, so I think that that's probably a wise thing to look at. Um, and also test things like some things are not going to work, but you need to test them to determine that. So it might be a case of, um, I don't know what, what it is f- for Well, what's the minimum you'd say doing a test campaign that someone has to spend on AdWords? What, what would you say it is? Uh, well, that really depends on the marketplace they're in and what the costs are. So yeah, that's true. Um, that could, yeah, it could be, it could be thousand dollars or it could be a hundred. Um, yeah, like if you're in a campaign where you're paying ten dollars a click and you're like a, a law firm that's targeting someone who's looking for, you know, uh, uh, some some type of uh, lawyer for family law or something, then you can easily be paying ten fifteen dollars a click for those types of highly competitive, highly lucrative uh, conversions. So it's a case of understanding the marketplace and then working that out. But typically, rather than looking at necessarily a dollar spend amount, we would want to have at least a couple of hundred visitors or people clicking on the ads to have any sort of basic metrics on, on what's actually happening and what's working, what's not. But that, that would be sort of a bare bone minimum that we would work on would be a couple of hundred visitors Mm -hmm. to get any idea but of course again back to what is your industry what is it you're targeting Um, and that's where doing some pre-research and doing some keyword research and working out what the cost per clicks are for the keyword terms you want to target you'll be able to go okay realistically uh, to target this we're spending a dollar a click so we're going to need to have a $500 budget or whatever it is Mm -hmm. so but still, when you consider uh, how quick you can get something up and running and, and test a marketplace now, when I say now, we've been able to do this for 15 plus years, but um, you know, before that, what would you do? You'd, you'd run a newspaper campaign or you'd do a radio advertising campaign, uh, you'd do something on TV, and you t- you're talking tens of thousands of dollars to do that type of testing. So we're in a very fortunate position now. If you want to work something like that out, you can do it at a much lower cost, even if it is $500 or $1,000 to do it. Sure. So so um, anything else for the, the subject of where? Uh, look, you know, we, we've touched on Facebook, but again, that's, that's a marketplace that is very different to search. Um, we work in both, so we can help you with it. But then you've got Instagram as well, which is owned by Facebook, which you can also do paid advertising on. So again, it's where is your marketplace? Where are they spending their time? Are they If they completely spend the majority of their time on Instagram, then that would be an obvious place to try and get in front of them. Um, so there's, there's lots of technicalities to that, to answer that question correctly. And that's where actually going through this is important. 
So the next step is how are you going to do it? So what what are your tactics for moving forward in terms of having the, the strategy in place to get this to work? Um, so what are your thoughts in terms of tools to use, processes like blogging, mm-hmm. um, doing a podcast as as we do to build awareness producing YouTube videos or writing newsletters or books? Yeah, I don't think um, I don't think any activity should be done without being attached to a strategy. So we, you know, a basic strategy is you need a page on the website for every product and service you sell. I think that's that's absolute yep. bare bones basic strategy. Um, I think I hate the word blogging in a business context. It doesn't make sense. Um, you know, a content strategy is, you know, probably a better word for it. Um, and whether or not that's suitable for all businesses, uh, you know, that's a good question. I think you need to be able to answer. So people will have questions. You know, one good content marketing strategy would be to, um, you know, you probably have 10 questions, five or 10 questions customers ask or things they need to know before buying. So creating content for each of those is a good Yeah. Um, basic strategy because it will help you get that traffic from Google but it also supports your selling process. Definitely. I mean, we do this podcast um, and, it, you know, it's a good way for us. You know, people ask us questions all the time and instead of having to explain, they might not be able to go to a workshop. Instead of having to, you know, write an email a mile long, we can just flick them the podcast and, um, you know, it explains it in, in the same way as we would if we were standing there talking to them in person. So, um, yeah, I think that you know a basic content strategy. It doesn't need to be anything elaborate. Can work very well. It doesn't need to be podcast. It could just be audio. Like one easy way is to just mm. if you can't if you're not great at writing is just to um, record the answers to the questions and you can embed those recorded MP3s on the website or and you can have someone you know transcribe them or write the content based on those MP3s. So that can work quite well. Um, I think you know. Thinking about the website and the web as a way to clone you, if you're answering the same question over and over again, that's generally a good um, piece of content for the website. Um, for sure, yeah. Yeah, and we talked about before is you know, replicating the in-person sales process online. Every step of that process, taking that online is going to work very well. It's going to support the sales process and you're going to convert better, but it's also probably going to attract more people because it will – you know, it'll help you rank higher and it just appeals to those searches. And then a lot of that content in some cases can become Facebook ads or Instagram ads or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. And the the terminology that's always used is content is king. So uh, having that worked out and having that um, in your strategy and not just doing random things or, you know, that's a, the, going back to what I said before, we have so many people who think they have to have to be on everything and do everything. Well, that's not true because now you need to work out, you know, this is the content we're going to produce. What channels are we putting that content on? So that's where it could be the, the, the podcast or the YouTube videos. And, um, and I suggest to people not to get overwhelmed and just pick one or two things to start with. If they're only just going down this path for the first time, don't try and do everything at once because you'll just do a lot of things poorly. Pick one or two items, get them working well, get them converting, 
uh, or failing, but find out quickly because it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work just because you start doing a YouTube channel or doing a podcast. Uh, work out whether it's for you or not and um, then pick the next thing, the next step that you want to take, the next marketing channel that you want to put in place to to uh, get your content out there, in my humble opinion. <laughs> anything, anything to add? Not really. I think that that's plenty there to plenty of fodder. We've talked for a while. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, it's about being strategic, like routing the mark. Whatever you're doing online needs to be, you know, attached to a strategy or have a strategic reason for doing it. Just activity. See, people like you know, they have an Instagram page for their business. It just doesn't make sense. It's like, what? This doesn't make sense. Why are you doing Instagram? Um, I think it's. It can be easy to get caught in the doing activity online mm. um, instead of being strategic about how you're going to sell a market online. So I think it's it's very important to be strategic when you do this stuff, um, and also do a lot of this. If you just simply do this thinking away from the computer, it can be very powerful with a pen and paper. Definitely, um, and thinking about what happens in the real world and how that sales process works as opposed to thinking about it in terms of websites and Facebook and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, yeah. um, I think there's a kind of good shortcuts to think about it. Um, And also the sales process, like how would you sell your best friend if they were buying from you? That is generally a good place to start and it kind of, you wouldn't do anything scammy or trick them into buying. So it would weed out a lot of those kind of shady or gray area tactics that a lot of companies can fall into the trap of engaging in. Um, cause yeah, I think long term, anything you do that's shady is going to come back to bite you on the ass. So, yeah. Awesome. Uh, so then you've just got to work out a, a, a strategy of when you're going to get things done. Uh, is it going to be a weekly or daily or monthly? What's the process? How often are you going to implement each of these, uh, items that you have to do? Are you going to do a, a daily blog post or, produce content on a daily basis or produce videos, work out realistically how much time you or a staff member has to produce the content that you need to do to get the ads set up, to write ads, to set up a Google AdWords campaign, etc., etc. And if you're not going to be doing it yourself, then you need to look at outsourcing it to someone that can do it in terms of a marketing agency um, because realistically, if you're a small one or two person, um, operation, this takes way more time than most people really give it thought for. Uh, and a lot of people naively think they can just spend an hour a week <laughs> on doing this sort of stuff. Uh, but it's realistically, it's more like uh, a day a week. Um, and that's probably still not enough. So be re- be realistic with your time planning, and if you can't do it yourself, you need to leverage that and outsource uh, to get help to do it. Mm-hmm. So that's where going back to having a budget, you've got to work out how much you're going to spend, not just on paying for advertising, but how much it's going to cost to actually get help to implement all of the things we've just talked about if you can't do it all yourself. Yep. So on that note... Thank you, Brendan, for your contributions to this fantastic episode of the Business Thanks, Marketing Ed. Show. You're welcome, Ed. Uh, Anytime. Thank you, the listener. We don't exist without you. And uh, we look forward to bringing you another episode. We're going to get back into having some more guests on 
the show over the coming months and year. Um, if there's anyone in particular you'd like to have a, on the show that you'd like us to feature or interview that is relevant to the, the, the world of marketing and business in general, let us know in the comments and we can see what we can do to, to get that person on the show. So we look forward to your feedback and we'll speak to you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to The Business Marketing Show. You can find us at businessmarketingshow.com on iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher.